Hey, let's talk some judges. Anybody? I mean, I know, I know Malia is extremely excited. Um, if anybody doesn't know this, she loves judges. Um, judges, hopefully if you've never read Judges, anybody that ever says the Bible's boring has never read Judges, okay? Because there's some really messed up stuff in Judges. Um, it's kind of like this. So uh, this is what's, this is not sub, uh, sermon topic, but it kind of made me chuckle as I'm thinking about this. So in the podcast, Matt was sharing some of the books he's read this year. And one of them he said that he read was this book called Cherished on um, marriages and, and relationships. So I was like, well, it's on Audible. So I got it for Audible and I was listening to it too the other day. And uh, he refers to Song of Solomon a lot in the first chapter. I don't know what he talks about the rest of the book, but he's referring to Song of Solomon a lot in the first chapter. And I thought to myself, I have not read Song of Solomon for a very long time. So I'm just sharing this. Is anybody that thinks the Bible is boring, right? I was like, I'm going to read Song of Solomon. And I haven't read it for a long time. I was like, man, this is like steamy. Like this is, I mean, here's the thing. Well, what word do you want me to use? Okay, spicy. There you go. <laughs> Needless to say, the Bible is not boring if you read it. So I'm always saying that. Thanks, honey. Appreciate that. <laughs> that throws you off a little bit. All right, let's start talking about some judges. Um, so here's the thing. I, I put this in my write-up um, about this week's sermon about unfinished projects. I don't know if anybody else is, is guilty of this. I am a master at unfinished projects. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I, I kind of shared this and Malia asked me if I was going to go into a little more detail. So our house is a split level house. So when you go down the stairs, of course, we have these really high walls, this one really high wall. And about two and a half years ago, I had the, you know, I was like, I'm going to paint my TV room downstairs and, you know, turn it into my TV area, my little man cave, all that stuff. So I painted it and the, and, and the room goes around and it wraps up on this big high wall. And I'm like, well, let's just keep it going and I'll paint this color all the way up and, and then we'll change it and all that. Um, and I painted about halfway and then it stayed like that for two and a half years, <laughs> right? Perfect. Stayed like that for two and a half years. Um, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating at all. You can ask my wife. So every day we're walking downstairs, you're walking past my half painted wall for two and a half years. Um, I finally finished it before Christmas. Um, the funny thing is it ended up being a completely different color than it was planned to be, but it's finished now. It's done. But here's the thing about unfinished projects. I spent two and a half years not finishing a project or a lot of projects, not because I can't finish them. <laughs> I just don't want to, right? I mean, after, I mean, who cares if the wall's painted? That was kind of my attitude. Like, <laughs> doesn't hurt me any, you know? Now it annoyed her, I'm sure, quite a bit. And People would come over and be like, wow, you're painting? Yep. <laughs> Two years ago, but yep. Um, wouldn't say that, but yeah. But anyways, here's the thing. It wasn't that I couldn't finish the project. I would make excuses on why I couldn't finish it. So anybody, I've shared this before, don't like heights. So of course I'm like, that's really high. I don't want to get up there. And then I'd be like, I don't have a ladder. So you make all these excuses on why I don't have time, don't have... It wasn't that I can't. It's just that I wouldn't. And this is what we're going to start to understand when we look and start in Judges. Okay, because if you don't know anything about Judges, this is where we're at. Let's look at the context here, where we're at in what's happening. So uh, God has brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. And because of their disobedience, they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness because God says, because you're not going to trust me, this generation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till this generation dies and the next generation is going to get the land because you wouldn't trust me and go do what I told you to do. So we're 40 years later, and that generation has passed. Moses is gone. Jo uh, Joshua took over after Moses, and that's where you have the book of Joshua. Joshua takes over, and he takes the people, and they enter into the land. That's the book of Joshua, is them entering into the land and taking possession of the land. But here's the thing. Never in the book of Joshua do they take the entire land. And this is actually in scripture where, where God says, I'm not going to give you all of the land all at once. You're going to have to take it little by little. 
And he explains that. We'll look at one of those verses here in a little bit. But he's like, you're going to have to take it little by little. So what we have in, in Judges is it starts out right off saying that Joshua now has died. And there's nobody to lead the people in the sense of one person. And they are still in the process of taking possession of the land. That's what's happening. Joshua has taken them in, they are settled there, and now they are called to continue taking possession of the land. They're called to finish the project, is basically what's happening. Okay, so this is what we see in Numbers, as we, we look through how this is all played out. So in Numbers, God says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and, ca- and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So this is the project that God is saying, go do this. Okay? But when we look at the entirety of the book of Judges, what we find is this constant cycle of the people of Israel not doing that which God commanded them to do. Right? They never finish the project. And again, the, the thing that we need to understand is it's not because they can't finish the project. They won't finish the project. And because of this, they are constantly struggling in their life in following God. And this is why what happens is, is because of their disobedience and not being willing to finish the project, God finally says, fine. I'm going to make you deal with the consequences of not finishing the project. And now these people that you were supposed to drive out, they're actually going to be a problem for you. And they're going to oppress you. And so what we see in Judges is this constant cycle of people oppressing the Jews. Israelite would come under bondage of somebody else and they would spend years being mistreated. They would cry out to God saying, please save us. And then God would raise up a judge, an individual that he would use to bring victory and freedom to the Jewish people. And the Bible tells us in Judges that every time God raised up a judge, the people would experience victory and they would follow God until that judge died. And then guess what? We go right back to the way we were before. And it's just this constant cycle through the book of Judges. Now, the reason Judges is such a powerful book is because if most of us really kind of thought about our own lives sometimes, I know this is true many times of mine, is there's been many moments in my Christianity and seasons in my Christianity where it was just this constant cycle of like, hey, victory, this is great, awesome, and then, whew, oh, what happened? Victory, this is awesome, what happened? Right? This constant up and down cycle of victory, defeat, victory, and defeat. Right after God said this to the Israelites, he also said this. He warned them. He said, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live, and then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. So here's the thing. From the very beginning, God gave them the project. He said, this is the project. Take possession of the land. You can do it. I've given it to you. It is yours to go take. But if you don't finish the project, this is what's going to happen. And the people didn't listen. And again, they were oppressed. And God would raise them up. And he would bring victory. So here's the thing. How does this relate to us today? Because you and I have been promised an inheritance The same way that the Israelites were. Our inheritance is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us, God tells us through Jesus, he commands us, take hold of your inheritance. Enter into the promised land that I have created for you as a follower and child and and believer in me. Take hold of it. Take possession of it. But many times we fail to fully take hold of all that God has bestowed upon us as a Christian. And the reason is not because we can't, it's because we won't. 
We just got done doing the series through Ephesians, talking about exceedingly, abundantly more, and everything that God wants to give us. And, and if you were part of that, and you, and you read in Ephesians, and you study that, and you listen to those sermons, maybe you sat there going like, man, that's what I want. How come I... Here's the thing. Everything Jesus promises us as Christians is available to every single one of us. And it's never an issue of whether you can or cannot take hold of that. It's always a question of if you will take hold of it. That's always the question. Notice what God said about the promised land to the Jews. He said, listen, you will possess their land and I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord, your God, who has set you apart from the nations. This is God telling them, this is your inheritance. Okay. This is why this is important. Notice what Paul said in Ephesians. In him being Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will. In him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's the problem when most of us read that verse, and I'm guilty of this too. When we read that and we hear this, when we acquire it, until we acquire it, the problem is, We think that means when I die, I will enter into heaven and then I will inquire the inheritance. That's a bunch of bull. I have the inheritance now. And God has called me through the power of the Holy Spirit to acquire it on a daily basis. The problem is most of us live our Christian lives thinking that it's a someday thing. Why did God bother to give us the Holy Spirit if he's not expecting us to go in and take possession of the promised land that is being a child of God? I have given you an inheritance according to my will, according to my purposes, because I have called you out of the nations to be different, set apart, holy for me. Go take possession of it for the praise of my glory. Right? This is why when we look at Judges, you see a group of people that spend generations failing to live out the fullness of their inheritance, not because they don't have it, it's because they won't take it. And sadly, this is true of many Christians today. We've been fooled, deceived into thinking the fullness of the inheritance is a someday thing when it's a right now. So here's the thing. We're going to be in Judges chapter 1. We're not going to do the verse by verse. uh, But if you want to be in Judges chapter 1 and kind of look as we we go through some of this, as we jump through this and and kind of understand some stuff. Um, But here's what I want us to see right off the bat when when we look at Judges chapter 1. Right off the bat, the the Israelites are actually doing it right. Okay? It it says right off the bat that, that Joshua has died. And they inquire of the Lord. This is what it says. They go and they inquire of the Lord. Who will lead us into battle? Who's going to continue to lead us into battle? And and God tells them, uh, Judah will go first. The tribe of Judah will go first and lead you into battle. And, And so what we see here is we see the people continuing in the mindset of Joshua. Let's trust God. Let's inquire of God. Let's follow where God wants us to go. And this is what they're doing. And when we start reading Judges, there's victory. It starts saying, they they went up and they fought, and God was with them, and they won, and they fought, and they won, and they fought, and they won. And we see this this steamrolling of the people driving out the inhabitants of the land. They're doing the project. They're taking hold of their inheritance because they're putting God first, and they're following where God is telling them to go. Sadly, they don't even get out of the first chapter before it starts falling apart. So there's a few things I want to point out just in the first chapter, and, and hopefully it's an encouragement to us. It's going to be a challenge. It should be, I mean, I hope this is convicting. It, it, it is to me in saying, pay attention to these things, because I want you to see the, the things that happen that start to pull them away from fulfilling the promise or fulfilling the project that God has for them. And it's the same thing we have to be aware of today. 
This, this is a few things that keep us from taking hold of our inheritance the way Christ wants us to. The first is this. They fell into a refusal to trust God. They stopped trusting God. See, there comes this point in chapter 1. We get to verse 19 and, he, and we read victory, victory, victory. There's all these victories. And then all of a sudden in verse 19 it says, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. Okay? It's this, out of just this statement made, there's nothing else put in their explanation, nothing like that. It's just all of a sudden it says, but they, they weren't able to, to drive these people out because they had iron chariots. Basically, if you just read that, it sounds like, okay, they came up against someone that was stronger than them. So of course they couldn't win because they were stronger than they were. Here's why this is a problem. Notice what's said in Joshua. The people come to Joshua at one point and they say, the people replied, the hill country is not enough room for us. All the Canaanites who live in the plains have iron chariots. And this was Joshua's response. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Joshua's response like, I don't care. God's bigger. But, but it's not just that because notice what God told the people even before Moses left them. He said in Deuteronomy, do not be terrified by them. For the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He goes on, he will give their kings into your hand and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you. You will destroy them. So here's the thing. God told him a long time ago, listen, you've already won. Just, just go do what I tell you to do. I've handed them over to you. Nobody can stand against you. It doesn't matter if they have iron chariots. You will defeat them. You will destroy them. They enter into the land, and the first thing they say to Joshua, we can't win. They have iron chariots. God, Joshua's like, I don't care. Because God told us we've won. They, they can't stand against us. Now all of a sudden, Moses is gone. Joshua is gone. And all of a sudden, the people stop trusting God. See, why is this important for us? Because this is, where it's, it, this is where it begins and ends when it comes to our Christianity. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is the crux right here. This is it right here. The reason we don't enter into the fullness of the inheritance that Jesus has provided for us is because we have to get honest that we don't fully trust the promises that he's given us. That's it. And see, we hear that, and the first thing, I, I mean, when I hear that, the first thing I want to do is I want to be like, oh, yeah, no, that's not true. I do, but stop for a minute and ask ourselves, how often do we doubt the promises of God? How, how often, because the world tells us something different, or our feelings tell us something different, or it makes us uncomfortable, or it makes us uneasy, or it, it causes us to be like, that don't make sense. Do we try to figure out ways to make it make sense? To find loopholes. To, to find it, well, maybe God doesn't really mean this. And we start refusing to trust what God says. We, we try to make it that it doesn't mean that for me personally. A few weeks ago, or last time I preached, I shared, uh, for anybody who's here, I shared about how at Thanksgiving... Um, <laughs> can't believe I'm going to share this because it just makes me look stupid. Um, but we, we, I played the, the virtual reality for the first time. Here's the thing. After we played it, I was like, I got to get one. So I, I just, here's how I did it. Honey, let's get the girls some virtual reality. <laughs> okay. So Christmas is coming. Great Christmas gift. So here's the thing. I shared that, that uh, what the, the game we played is being scared of heights, the whole little plank, you know, and walking out on the plank. So I get my, we, we bought it, of course, and, and I get that game. Here's what's really funny about it. 
I don't know what version my niece has. Her plank was like really long. I play our version. It's like this long. It's like a little stubby plank. Anyways, um, I finally got to the point. I can walk out on it, but they, my, my kids would always jump, jump. Let's see what happens when you jump. <laughs> and here's the deal. I finally was able to do it. I, I walked off the plank. Here's how I had to do it. Anybody that knows the VR, you got your big glasses. I had to lift them up enough that I could see ground. <laughs> and I could still see. It's like, I got this. Here we go. And, and then once I stepped off, I was like, I could put them back on. And then I watched. And here's the thing. Everybody's never played this. Here's what happens when you, when you walk off. <laughs> you fall really fast. And when you hit the ground, it all goes white. So it's like, okay, that's, that's, it just, it's not cool. Let's just put it that way. It's not cool. But here's the thing. I have to live, but this is how most of us treat trusting God. God says, jump. And we put conditions on it. Like, I, you got to make it easy for me to be, you know, I, I want to do it the way that's going to make, and God's like, it don't work that way. Trust. But God, give me all the answers. Show me what's, how's this going to, he's like, just Jump. Walk, step, trust me. But, but God, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. Trust me. But God, they have iron chariots. If we go out there, we're going to die. Just trust me. Step out into the unknown because that's where I exist and I will show you my glory. That's what God says to us. And the reason we don't step into the fullness of the inheritance is because we're too, we, we just refuse to trust. Now, here's the thing I want to say before we move on to the next one about refusing to trust. It's not just that we refuse to trust his promises or his blessings. This one's going to be a little bit harder. Christians, we also have to trust his warnings. See, God, Jesus has given us a lot of warnings. He's called us what to do, but he's also said, if you don't, this is going to happen. And many times as Christians, I know I am very guilty of this. I will live in this little fog of ignorance when it's not ignorance, but I'll pretend like it is. I, I don't want to trust in the warning. I, I, I don't want, you know, I'll give you an example. One of the, the biggest ones that was going through my mind this week is in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, we find Jesus telling his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? My, my father is the gardener. He prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me because in my love, in me, you can accomplish pretty much you can, anything I ask of you, you can accomplish in me. Remain in me. Like we love hearing that. That's that promise, right? That's the blessing of, yes, I can do anything in Christ. But then he says, anyone that does not remain in my love is like a branch that withers and is cut and thrown into the fire. See, there's, there's promises of blessing, but there's also promises of warning. And we have to understand that both of them are promises of God. And we have to trust both of them. Right? And this is what God tells us to do. Same thing he said to the Israelites. Go take possession of the land. It is yours. Go take it. But if you don't drive these people out from among you, they will be barbs in your eye, thorns in your side. And I'm going to do to you what I was going to do to them. And the people didn't trust God. And they just kind of thought, well, we can do it the way we want to do it. I can do it the way I think is best. I can... I can decide how I want to follow God. I can decide how I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, it don't work that way. Trust me and receive my promises. So we have to not refuse to trust him. That's what the people did, is they refused to trust God. And then that led into the next problem. They started living out arrogant compromises. So here's what happens. God's still with them. They're still more powerful than the people. But here's what happens. Right after they can't start driving them out, it's like, well, listen, when we became strong enough, isn't this interesting? We can't drive them out because they have iron chariots, but we can be strong enough to turn them into our slaves. Doesn't make sense, does it? 
How can you be strong enough to make somebody your slave if you're not strong enough to drive them out? So what happens is is the people start compromising with the world around them. They say, hey, why should I have to do forced labor? Let's make them do it for us. Let's live off some benefit from the world. let's, Let's say we're following God, but let's live off some of the benefit from the people around us. So what happens is, is they start compromising. And they force the Canaanites into this forced labor and, and, and instead of driving them out completely. So they fall into this arrogant, compromising mentality. How can I live the blessings of God while still enjoying what I want to of the world? Do you not know, have to fight that every single day? How do I be faithful to God, but I still want to enjoy the best of the world. Now here's the thing, that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the beautiful things that God has given me in the world, but it doesn't mean I compromise the project. And the project is to glorify Christ, to pursue holiness, to take possession of my inheritance. But how often do I let the world compromise me in chasing after that objective? How often do I let the things of the world get in the way of me taking hold of everything Christ wants and has for me? See, in the New Testament, we're told it this way. James says this, you adulterers, man, they use some you know, pretty hard language. <laughs> Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So you notice how it all starts with not trusting God? That's a warning. That's a warning from God saying, listen, do you not realize that if you chase after after the world more than me, you may be friends with the world, but you're an enemy of mine. That's a warning. That's why I like how James says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Trust what God is saying to us. We can't compromise. I'll give credit with this one um, to Chris Cantrell. He did this one time at Revolution with a sermon. He was talking about compromise, and he, uh, he brought out um, like a bottle of water. And, and, you know, he's just like, hey, nice clean water, you know, drink it, you know, and, and talking about the significance of compromise. And, and then as he's talking about that, you know, you, you'd want to drink this bottle of water. It's nice, clean, it's fresh and all that. But then he just took the, the smallest amount, this little bit of dirt, and he, and he stuck it into it. He compromised it, right? And then he's like, who wants to drink it now? And the point was, the smallest amount of compromise tainted the desire for the water. And this has to be our attitude, and that's what happened with the people here, is they started falling into this, well, I can play being a friend of the world and still be faithful to God. It was an arrogant compromise. And the enemy wants us to do the same thing. I can handle it. I can flirt with the world. I can mix with the world. I can be part of the world and and, and enjoy these things that God says and still be faithful to Jesus. Small compromises are not a big deal, but the problem is small compromises expand and grow. And that's where it led to the people. After they had small compromises, there was this progressive apathy. See, this is, the, this is the process, right? I want you to see this, how it just keeps getting worse. It starts with not trusting God. It moves on to the, this compromise, and then it enter in, enters into this apathy. The Bible says, still in chapter 1, it starts listing the tribes. So there's 12 tribes of Israel, and it starts with Ephraim, and it says, they didn't drive them out, but the Canaanites continue to live there among them. And then it just lists them one after the other. Neither did this tribe. Neither did this tribe. This tribe didn't do it either. It just keeps listing the tribe saying they failed to drive them out. They failed to drive them out. They failed to drive them out. There just became this apathy of, eh, why try anymore? Why strive 
to do this anymore. They, they completely, this is what happened, they gave up. The people gave up. And, and this is what the enemy wants of us. He wants you to give up. He, he wants you to compromise enough where you just get to the point of, eh. See, apathy, when you think about this, it's a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern of the project. My question for us this morning, again, I hope this is convicting, but at the same time, I hope it's going to end up being encouraging to you, is, is it possible that your Christianity, your, your faith, your desire for Jesus, have you lost your lack of interest? How about that enthusiasm? Where's your concern at this morning to take hold of the inheritance that Jesus has for you? See, that's where the enemy wants us. He wants us to just give up. Eh. What's it matter? And I don't bring this up as a, here's the thing, please do not think I'm looking at anybody, or, but just ask yourself, when's the last time you picked up your Bible and read it? What's your interest in the Word of God, the book of promise, the book that God says, I'm giving this to you so you can know me intimately and personally? Where's your interest in the Word of God this morning? Where's your interest in being in prayer with God? Where's your interest in seeking and desiring Christ? Where's your interest in the inheritance? Or are you just sitting here going like, yeah, I'll get to heaven someday. It'll be good. I'll just struggle until then. This is not what Christ has for us. But see, this is how it starts with not trusting God, it moves into compromising, and then it moves into this apathy. We just accept that this is the normal. And then what also happens, I'm guilty, here's the thing, I spent a lot of time in my Christianity very guilty of this. I would look at other Christians, like excited Christians, people that were full of energy and excitement, and they annoy me. It's like, you are annoying Quit being so happy and excited for Jesus. Quit being so passionate, right? This is actually what I would say a lot when I was younger about people like that. You fake person. Nobody's that joyful. You know what I was really saying? I'm not that joyful, so you can't be. You can't be that excited and passionate about God. You can't be. I've actually had moments in my life. Um, I don't know if I've shared this before, but there was a time where my parents thought it would be a good idea to let a missionary and his family stay with us for like three months. Okay? Hated it. Hated it. Right? Because I was about 18, 19, 20. I don't know. Somewhere around in there. I don't remember the age. Here's, here's the deal. At that point in time in my life, I called myself a Christian by name, but I was not living the Christian life by any means. And then they invite this guy and his family to come into our house that packed up everything and went to the Ukraine. And he annoyed me. Because every time I got around him, it made me uncomfortable. Every time I saw him, it made me uncomfortable. And I'd put that on him because it's like, listen, that's cool. You be that super Christian, you be that super saint, but that's not for me, that's not for most people. You chase that inheritance all you want, buddy. I got my ticket to heaven, that's all I need. Right? It took a long time for God to show me that that is the norm, not me. See, many of us think our Christianity is norm, but... It's the people that are chasing after Jesus with everything they have. That's where Jesus says, that's the norm. That's what I want, is people that are not falling progressively into apathy. A lack of excitement and enthusiasm and interest and concern and saying, listen, enemy, you're not going to steal my inheritance from me. You're not going to take what Jesus has given to me. I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to take hold of all of it. And, and here's the lie. It all ends with this. There's finally that accepted defeat. Again, before we even leave chapter 1, in verse 34 it says, The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. 
It's this very statement that you're kind of like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Do you see what it says there? God has been telling these people since Abraham, this is your land. I have given it to you. No one can stop you from taking possession of it. Go get it. But these people confined this tribe. This word confined, I mean, think about what that's saying. Confined means that they imprisoned them, they restrained them, they restricted them, they bound them. They said, God has given this to you, but you can't come into it. You stay there. And they accepted it. And they never took possession of the land that was theirs. Because they accepted defeat. See, that's where the enemy wants us. He wants you to get to the point of just accepting defeat. He wants to confine you to being less than what Jesus has saved you to be. He wants to confine you as an individual. He wants to confine your your marriage. He wants to confine your family, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. He wants to perpetuate confinement because the last thing he wants is for you to live the fullness of the inheritance that Jesus Christ has given you. And he starts by getting us to not trust God. And then to move into compromise. And then move into apathy. And finally just accepting this is the way it is. See, the acceptance of less in your Christian life, in my Christian life, when we choose to accept less than what Jesus has for us, we are accepting defeat Because the giver of our inheritance has actually promised us abundance. This morning in your Christianity, in your walk with Christ, if you have allowed yourself to accept less than what Jesus is offering, then you have accepted defeat because Jesus offers abundance. In fact, he offers it so much, he compares it to this. He says, listen, I will pour it in, I will pack it down, I will press it down until it overflows. That's what he offers. But the enemy wants to confine us. So again, I ask the question again, I, I, I pray it's convicting to us, but at the same time encouraging because Jesus says it doesn't have to be this way. But if you think about your faith right now, this morning, this moment, this week, as you look at where you're at, Do you feel confined? That you've allowed yourself less and you've accepted less. And you just say to yourself, this is the best it's going to get. This is the most that we can have. And we'll be happy with this little corner over here when Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've given you the fullness of the inheritance. Stop settling for less. That's not what I've given to you. So as we end this and we prepare to take communion, and I love that we're going to take communion here in a moment. The question is, what do we do then? Well, I don't want to be like the Israelites and judges. I don't, so as we go through this series, you're going to see this, right? Because of this, because they didn't trust God, because they allowed compromise, because of their apathy, because of their acceptance of defeat, they live this constant cycle A victory, then defeat. Victory, then defeat. Victory, then defeat. And so that's why I I say to us this morning, is that your Christian walk? Excitement, and then defeat. Excitement and enthusiasm, then defeat. Maybe it's been so long since you've been excited that you don't even remember what that feels like. So when we look at Judges... This is, we're going to see the ramifications, the, the consequences of, of following in those footsteps. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be this way. That's the message this morning. It doesn't have to be this way. And it's not a message. Here's the thing I want to get through everybody. Hopefully we all understand this. This is available to you. And it doesn't matter if you think you can't take hold of it. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So if you're sitting here going like, oh, this sounds great, but I can't. 
No, it's not an issue of I can't. It's an issue of I won't. Because Jesus already has. Do you get that? It's not an issue of I can't. It's an issue of I won't because Jesus already has. So where do we start? Where is it, where, what do we do if this is where we're at? We go back to point number one. Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote a lot about revival, said this. Faith is taking God at his word. That's it. Faith is taking God at his word. Notice how many times in the Bible this statement is made. The righteous shall live by faith. It all starts with taking God at his word, trusting God. If God says it as a promise of blessing or a promise of warning, take God at his word and step into that, live that, follow that, whether it makes sense to you or not. The righteous shall live by faith. So here's the thing. When we start talking about faith, the the sad part is, um, many of us feel like our faith is like this, like we're going to break the cycle, right? And it's like, I got my faith. I'm going to break that cycle, buddy. I'm going to do it with my faith. Here's the deal. Many of you right now might feel like your faith is like this. Okay. Weak, small, insignificant. I can't do much with this. Let me bring me the next size hammer real quick. She said she wasn't going to listen to me today, so I left him over there because she had to then. <laughs> Some of us might feel a little bit better. We might be like, well, this is my faith, right? I can do something with this, right? Some of you might feel that way this morning. Some of you are like, this is my faith. I don't feel like I can do much. Some of you are like, I feel a little bit stronger. This is my faith. I can tear some stuff up with this. It's going to take me a while, but I can do it. It's going to take a lot of work. And remember, taking possession of the land is a step-by-step thing, right? It's not going to happen over. It's not going to happen instantly. You got to do some work. That's the beauty of this, okay? I love this next moment because she is literally eyeing that hammer. And she's saying to herself, I cannot lift that. (laughs) Bring me the other hammer. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I couldn't bring in what I really wanted to bring in, so hopefully this will be enough. Our faith, right, and this is what we swing to demolish the cycle. This is what Jesus swings. In fact, Jesus swings a wrecking ball. My job is to take my faith and unite it with him and break the cycle. That's my job. The righteous will live by faith, right? I take my faith, no matter how small I think it is, and I take God at his word, and I unite it with his, and I let him break the cycle. See, here's the thing. God desperately wants to break some stuff up in our lives. He wants to do some demolishing. But the problem is, Jesus doesn't just come in and demolish until you take whatever faith you have and you unite it with him. Because he's not going to demolish it for you while you just sit there and do nothing. That's the whole point of them taking possession of the land. God could have went in there and just drove them out without the people at all. He could have had that place empty before they even got there. He could have done all the work for them, but he's like, listen, I will be with you every step of the way. Every inch of that land, I will help you go get, but I'm not doing it for you. You got to be willing to put your faith and trust in me and take me at my word. And let's go do some demolishing. That was the whole point. But they didn't want to take God at his word. So where do we start? We start by taking God at his word. And we learn again before we go to communion. That we will never enter the fullness of the inheritance. If we spend our lives living with the I can't mentality. It's never I can't. So change it. It's one thing and it's one thing only. I won't, or I will. Never, I can't. Because if you make it about I can't, you're not lessening yourself, you're lessening the power of Jesus. When I say I can't overcome a sin, if I say I can't forgive, if I say I can't study scripture, if I say I can't serve, if I say all the things I can't do, I'm not lessening me, I'm lessening him. 
And it all starts with taking God at his word. The message of judges is simply this. Are we willing to break the cycle? Because as we enter into preparing ourselves for communion, here's my last, last point. God has already raised up a judge for you this morning. Just like Israel, he would raise up a judge to lead them to victory. And as long as they stayed in step with that judge and walked with that judge and followed the leadership of that judge, they would have victory and they would take possession of their inheritance. God has already raised up a judge for you this morning. That judge is Jesus Christ. Jesus is your judge. He is the ruler and the leader of your life. And he says, follow me, trust me, and I will lead you into this inheritance that is already yours if you would just take it. I'm going to ask them to play a song here for a moment, just some music. And as we prepare for communion, um, I'm going to ask when you are ready to receive it, just go up and I'm going to ask the, if the elders will come and stand on the sides so you can receive it. But when you're ready to receive it, I'm going to ask, though, to spend a moment as the music plays. And, and if you need to do some business and prepare your heart for communion, do that. If you need to spend some time saying, God, I'm not trusting you in these areas, then spend some time talking to him about that. If you need to demolish some stuff, demolish it. Let him do whatever work he has to do in you. That's between you and him. That's not between you and anybody else. But when you come and you take the elements for communion, you go sit back at your seat, realize when you come, that's a promise of your inheritance. That through his body, and through his blood, you are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are a child of God. That that is a promise that the inheritance is yours. And you are not called to be confined or held back or defeated or filled with apathy or any of the other things that we do because he shed his blood for us. Realize that when you take it. Be excited that that's your inheritance. I want to share part of Romans chapter 8 with us. First, for some of us that might be feeling this this morning, um, God brings conviction, the enemy brings guilt. And there's been many times when I look at my life, especially when it comes to communion moments, and I wrestle with guilt. But the scripture says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I only hear that because as you partake of communion this morning, the enemy wants you to feel guilty and make us hide and run from God. But the reason we partake of communion is because one, Jesus commanded it. But two, that's a reminder that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Oh, there's conviction when he draws us closer to himself. But there's no condemnation. Because he tells us it's by my body and by my blood that I have set you free. So this morning, before we partake of communion, I want to make sure that if anybody has those feelings of, oh man, I'm such a failure, or just guilt before Jesus. The enemy wants you to feel guilty because it makes us hide. Jesus wants us to see what's available and possible, and he says, come to me. Come to me. Take hold of the inheritance. In the same chapter, Paul goes on and he says this later on. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. That's Paul talking about the inheritance. That through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, you have been called to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus himself. That's your inheritance. That's my inheritance through Jesus Christ. To be justified. To be glorified. 
What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? No iron, iron chariot can stand against you. No scheme of the enemy, no weapon fashioned against, you, fashioned against you can stand against you because if God is for us, who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? As we partake of communion, just simply this last thought and think about this as we partake of these elements. If God was willing to give up his own son to give you an inheritance... Why would we ever doubt that he will fail to give us the entirety of it? That's the reminder of communion this morning. That when Jesus said, I'm about to go to the cross and take the bread, this is my body broken for you. I'm taking the penalty of your fallen life so that you can have the fullness of my life. And he blessed it and he gave it to him. He said, take this and eat in remembrance of me. And then the Bible tells us after that, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the entryway into the inheritance. I'm buying you back. I'm redeeming you. I've ransomed you. And this is what I'm paying to do it so that you can have the fullness of this inheritance through my blood. He said, take this and, and remember to me and what I've done for you. Let's take of the blood. Lord Jesus, as we prepare to leave this place, let us go with renewed excitement in the inheritance that is ours through you. The world has nothing for us. It cannot give us any purpose or value. It is simply and all through you because you created us, you redeemed us, you've glorified us, Lord. You have called us and, and embraced us and you have given this inheritance to us. Let us leave here with the resolve, the excitement to say, Lord, I'm going to do everything I have to do to unite my faith with you to take hold of the fullness of this inheritance. Lord, and I understand it's an everyday process. Just like the land was a step by step, little by little, my walk of faith is going to be the same way. I'm going to take my faith and I'm going to unite it with you. And every day, I'm going to take more of my inheritance. And I'm going to live in the fullness of what you have for me. And I'm not going to let anything come against me and keep me from it. Lord, that's our resolve. It's not that we can't. Will we chase after our inheritance and take hold of it? Lord, fill us with that truth this morning as we leave. For the glory of you, in your precious name we pray. Amen.